You're listening to the Untidy Faith Podcast, where we have honest conversations and gentle encouragement for when following Jesus gets messy. I'm your host, Kate Boyd, author, speaker, and gentle guide for Christians who are disentangling their faith from culture and desiring to find joy in following Jesus again. There can be life of faith after deconstruction. Let's find yours together. This season, you get to be a fly on the wall as I and my co-hosts, Robert Callahan and Amanda Waldron, read through 1 Samuel together and give you our honest thoughts, questions, and takeaways. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. And today, we are in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. Finally, we meet David. This is very exciting for us. Um, and so the I'm here. Skywalker, right? Robert? Yeah, that's right. The masculinity <laughs> is about to get real. <laughs> um, I'm here with Amanda Waldron and Robert Callahan. Hey, guys. What's Hello. And yeah, we're going to jump in because there's, I don't know, a lot and a little to cover. I don't really know how it's going to go. We're going to have to see. Yeah. So Amanda, if you will recap chapter 16 for us. Yeah, now we're getting into the stories that if you grew up going to Bible school or if you've been any time in the church, you probably recognize more than the uh, first third of First Samuel. So um, 16 starts off with um, the Lord telling Samuel, your time of mourning for Saul is over. Don't be sad anymore. I'm going to I'm going to anoint a new king. Um, and Samuel's like, uh ah. Saul seems a little crazy. He might kill me. This doesn't seem like a great idea. Uh, the Lord gives him a cover story of going to this town, pretending to do a sacrifice. And so Samuel gets to this town, finds the patriarch of this family and says, bring your sons. And so as all of the sons kind of trickle through, God is like, nope, not this one, not this one, not this one. And all of them make their way through. And Samuel is like, okay, wait a minute. Is there, is there anyone else? And they said, yep, David, he's out in the field tending the sheep. So someone goes and gets him, brings them back. And God is like, yep, this is the guy. And so he gets anointed. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day on. At the same time, Saul is suffering from some sort of torment um, that kind of manifests as depression and fear. And all of his servants are trying to figure out how they can help him and realizing, oh, music might be just the right ticket. And so someone's like, well, I know this guy. He's the son of Jesse. He's a harp player. And so Saul says, all right, go get him and brings David into the court to play music for him. And Saul felt better and the spirit went away. So that's where we that's where we leave off in that chapter. So there you go. Music. It changes everything. That's the takeaway from (laughs) learn the harp. (laughs) Yeah, I I am interested, and forgive me for going backwards, but I am interested, Amanda, in your take on looking at this as a therapist. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask that too, so I'm glad you said it. Yeah, like I mean, so when when I look at the Bible, I see a lot of allusions to justice because of my career and calling in in justice related spaces, and so. I'm just curious, like how you see this as a, as a therapist, you mentioned depression. Yeah, I am wondering. So, right. It could go one of two ways. It could be that clinical presentation of depression, but I think because we're in kind of the spiritual realm with these stories too, there's also that sense of like, Oh, is this some sort of spirit or demon as well? But if we're taking it clearly from the clinical sense, my My assessment would be, okay, Saul just (laughs) came off of this really big battle and at the same time was told, you're not going to be king anymore, Mm -hmm. Um, which my, right, like if we're reading it straight through, Mm -hmm. could be a cause for depression. Like your career is going to be ended. You're not Mm -hmm. sure when, you're not sure how that sense of fear of like, is this going to happen? Do I need to be on the lookout? Now I may have some paranoia. Yeah. Um, so my guess yeah. is that there is just this like uncertainty of, okay, what does the future mean? 
if like, like God is leaving me, I'm going to lose my Mm. job. Um, and who can I trust? Yeah. I've never thought about that. Like huge existential dread stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And depression kind of being like life isn't the way that we want it to be. Um, Hmm. But music is a coping skill, so good on his advisors for <laughs> pointing that out. <laughs> uh. Okay, so maybe rewind even further and let's talk about the anointing of David overall. Um, yeah, what did we think of this story? So, Robert. If I, yeah, if I can jump in. I, I think that the anointing is really interesting just like just that that idea that 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 instance um i'm listening to a a podcast series that's done by tim mackey at the bible project and they're talking about um like the identity of of christ and how he was revealed and that uh you'll have to help me out kate but apparently christ means to anoint or the anointed one. And Mm -hmm. so he's talking about this imagery of how the baptism, the physical water baptism um, was also the, you know, the symbol of the anointing um, of the, of the Holy spirit, like the anointing of anointings um, that would have been the the symbol for the, the, the public and the significance of, of anointing and um, like where else we see it in scripture. And so like, I can't get over now, like the, the significance of like the, the meaning of the anointing, like where um, it confers this um, title and honor and um, says that like God's spirit is going to be with you and you're um, using oil, which is from, you know, plants that's, harvested and so like has like this this natural aspect of it's like being taken from nature and being used to declare your identity and so i'm really stuck on that right now um but beyond that i i do think it's i i i think it's really funny that you know david has seven brothers and three of them get named <laughs> and then the other ones <laughs> so like Oh, that middle child syndrome. (laughs) Like the middle four, you know, they they get named in this chapter and the next chapter. Right. But like the other four, like, nah, just yada, yada. Um, Yeah. That was funny. I do think a couple of things are in, well, there are several things interesting in this part of the story. One, to your point that there are, he has seven brothers. And so I was reading um, in the Jewish study Bible, and they were talking about how, like, you know, seven is the number of completion. So it's kind of like weird that David is like the eighth one. <laughs> like, mm. if you were thinking about it, like seven would have he would have been the perfect seventh son, right? Mm. Um, and that even the selection of the youngest or a younger brother over the older ones is sort of a motif that we see a lot in the Old Testament. So that's not that unusual. It sort of follows that. Um, But even, and something I never noticed before until like everything I read pointed it out is that like David doesn't even speak at all in this like part. Like he's just there and he's spoken about. And there are things in which that are like similar, right? Like um, Saul's been rejected and then he goes and he's like spoken of as like handsome and all these things that you sort of like get these parallels with the Saul story as well. But I think it's interesting that, yeah, he's sort of like this kind of this bystander so far. (laughs) And, and that this is happening sort of in secret in the sense of like, he's kind of being anointed as King, but there's still a King, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) Which I don't know what that says about the overlap, right. Between like Saul and God. So if Saul was taking over kingship because they rejected God, Um, but that sort of happened more immediately, I feel like, than this one happens. And so 
yeah, I'll be curious to see if that parallel plays out in any particular way. But yeah, I was just really surprised to see because I I get the sense, right, that like David is supposed to be like meek and mild, right? He plays instruments at least like and he's a shepherd. He's not going off to war like his brothers in the next chapter. But um, it is interesting. I mean, I guess at least he didn't run away like Saul <laughs> But I'm not even sure that he got the chance because he was just sort of like here and then he gets anointed and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> what um, do you think that message was that when he got called in from the field? Hey, the prophet Samuel's here. He wants to see you. <laughs> it also sort of feels like Cinderella, right? When she's yeah. like, when the stepmom is like, these are my daughters. Yes. And it's like, oh, she's just a servant girl. Like, you don't want to talk to her. And yes. it's like, it's like, no, this is, oh, I have another son, but you surely wouldn't want that kid, you know? And that right. ends up being the one. It's interesting. I'm glad that, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. I had that same sort of vibe. I do think it's interesting, like you said, Kate, that there's like this public private anointing kind of a thing. Like it's happening in front of his family, but it's not happening in terms of being revealed to the rest of the nation. And the same sort of thing with Saul. We talked about why that might have been. Is it pragmatic? We just don't want this guy getting taken out before he has the chance to step into his role. But there's also this sense of what does the family think about this? Did they just sort of think, Oh, it's just that crazy old religious man from the mountain that came down because they, <laughs> they saw it, right? Like he yeah. walks in for like, he has each of the, the boys walk in front of him. It's like, no, that's not the one. You're not it. You're not it. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> just to their face. And kind then, of got some Joseph vibes in there too. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, yeah, and then so then he's he's chosen, he's honored in front of the rest of them, and no one says anything. Like, we don't know what they thought about this. And then fast forward, we see at least one of the brothers being a little bit of a jerk to him in the next chapter. <laughs> it's like there's some sibling like, stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, really strong rivalry vibes. <laughs> Do you remember when I was anointed your king? <laughs> <laughs> But God the said, youngest brother. <laughs> That's right. Oh man. Yeah. Like that would be insufferable. I could not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I could not. I I the Enneagram ate me. No, I would be off oh. the chain. <laughs> I'm using that badge every day. I'm the future king. <laughs> Right. You're going to wear a sash. You're going to go ahead and wear a crown or whatever they wear in ancient Israel. It's just, it's happening. I would Um, take the color dream coat, all that. (laughs) I think it's also the idea of the idea that the spirit has already departed Saul then and goes to David. So in a way, David is already sort of the spirit. Be, well, maybe not the spiritual leader of Israel, but it's like that it happened that way and that there wasn't overlap in that, you know, like it seems like if there is a person who's actually ruling, but I guess that's a sense of the rejection. I just caught that. I just thought that was really interesting because it was like David. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And then it's like the next verse. Now the spirit of the Lord departed Saul. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like serious for real, for real up in here. Yeah. Okay. So the liar, we've talked a little bit about Saul's state of mind, potentially. What do we think about David in all of this, or even David's father in, in this part of the story? I did think that it was interesting that David is he's he's not depicted as your traditional manly man in that he's a musician but he's also not stripped of that manly title either or that manliness so in verse 18 mm. 
uh, one of the servants answers, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre, and he's a brave man and a warrior, and he speaks well, and he's a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. So he's, I mean, he's <laughs> got it absolutely all, right? Like he's <laughs> – He's handsome. He can talk. He's strong. He's got he's good a, judgment is what my translation says. <laughs> oh, wow. Strong oh. cheekbones. <laughs> a nice jawline, you know, yeah. all the important things. And is a known harp player. Like how, <laughs> like, is this going to open? Like, is he on tour? How do people know this? Right, Getting especially if he's with free. sheep. Like he's hanging out with sheep. He's not right. hanging out with people. Like, how do they even know? He's, got, he's good at he's both like professions. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. So one of the things I was reading was talking about how this is sort of like the list, other than the music playing, this is like the list of things that it takes to be a good king, right? Oh, um geez. And so that is the characterization starting already. But with that, it feels kind of weird that Saul didn't pick up on it yet. And maybe this is just sort of like we'll notice as Saul sort of devolves throughout. But this seems like if you know that the spirit of the Lord has left you and if you know that you're being, you know, rejected as the king, you would certainly be on the lookout for people who might be the king after you. And so it's it's interesting to me that he didn't pick up on David being that person, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah. I wonder if he didn't see him as a threat. Not yet. Yeah. Just a shepherd playing the harp. How do you feel, both of you, about... In 23, at least in the NIV translation, it says, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. So the attribution of this troublesome spirit to God. Yeah, right? Like, I think it's one of those verses of like, is this literally what happened or is this the interpretation of the writer of what happened? Yeah, that's kind of where, and that's sort of what I feel like when we talk about anything sort of not necessarily everything related to the spiritual realm, but when they talk about the ways in which say demons or spirits might be affecting people, um, like there's an example, you know, when um, Jesus heals the man, the Gerasene demoniac, and it's, you know, that it very well may have been some sort of mental illness, like very strong, severe mental illness rather than, you know, a demon. But also like, I also believe in spirits, so I don't like want to necessarily take all of that away and yeah. say that there isn't sort of evil at work as well and maybe that's i'm still sort of sorting through where i might draw some of those lines i don't know but i do hesitate sometimes to completely remove the spiritual element and just let it be an attribution of like just something that we didn't understand yet Although I think there are certainly pieces of that and I couldn't tell you which stories are what, I don't know, but I, I am uncomfortable attributing that to God. I sort of feel like the sense we get from more in the new Testament is that God, or even something like a Job, right? Is that God allows, but God does not do those things. God's self. Um, you know, there's some of that in Paul in Romans 8 and some of that, I think, in um, James, maybe, that there is sort of this allowance of testing or trial or hard things. Although I get that that even feels kind of weird, right? Like, why would God allow for some of these things? And I don't know. That's sort of a bigger cosmological question. <laughs> but yeah, so I I don't like the attribution of this as a spirit from God 
like as in God sent it, but it could be that because of God's removal of his spirit that mm-hmm. it leaves space for then God to allow or you know and or there are things happening that like it's just being attributed to something that they that we don't understand yet mm-hmm. and I don't know Amanda's yeah. got a thought <laughs> just, just, I don't take this with a grain of salt it's like the Holy Spirit was Zoloft and the Zoloft got taken away and now it's just his mind. Yeah. Like I think there's room for that too. And so I guess for me, it's really hard it, because I, I think there's a sense in which we won't fully understand stuff like that yeah. and yeah. so part of me is like why even try but mm-hmm. i do think there is a sense in which like it is good to wrestle because that tells us something about what we believe or what we understand about who god is and i think in that way it's important to think through mm-hmm. but i i sort of hesitate to like get really specific mm-hmm. um it seems like the author wants us to know that this whatever Saul is going through is a consequence of yeah, God removing yeah. his blessing from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's tension. It's untidy, Kate. It's, un- it's <laughs> untidy. Imagine that. <laughs> like your book, Untidy Faith, available everywhere that books are sold. <laughs> no, I think, you know, it, the other thing that's interesting for me about the spirit is like it almost feels like there's like this cause and effect or like this yin and yang. Like the spirit leaves Saul, or at least the the spirit of like the that empowers Saul. It seems like that's leaving mm-hmm. Saul at the same time that it's going to David and empowering David, and then Saul is left, like you said, Amanda, with this not spirit of of power and uh, of empowerment and strength and. Mm-hmm. So I, I almost kind of wonder if, whether it's literal or not, the author is is telling us, like, hey, the the anointing is moved from from person A, it's gone to person B, and so now where we're dealing with the opposite of an anointing, where we had one before. <laughs> yeah, and I think if we are looking back at First Samuel so far. There is a lot in which Saul has so much insecurity that feeling that rejection of God from his kingship sort of probably just sort of exacerbates, right? Like mm-hmm. magnifies, multiplies right. that insecurity so that he was already acting out of that when he had the spirit of God and when he was doing all that. And now there's like, nothing to temper that with nothing to hold that back like he even knows he's been told that he will not be king and his kids won't be like it will not pass down he is not a dynasty is ending and Mm -hmm. so there's a sense in which yeah i think you said he's sort of dealing with the consequences but that is also probably a script that's playing in his mind a lot that is sort of feeding a lot of this and must be really confusing, right? Because the next chapter goes into him continuing to lead the army. So is there just this sense of like, am I the king? Am I not the king? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Right? He's just always waiting for the other shoe to drop because he doesn't he doesn't know who the next king is going to be. Yeah. Nobody knows except for David and his family. And and they probably don't even believe it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. Saul didn't believe it when it happened to him. Why would they? It doesn't make any sense, right? And so I think there is, yeah, there's just a and lot to to mess with him. What, right? Like we go from the story of David being anointed to then David going to work inside Saul's household. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wonder what, yeah, I wonder what, 
Yeah. Like, that yeah, was like, like did David <laughs> tell anybody or is he keeping that just like I like if I were him, I would not tell anyone. That's right. the way to get murdered. But um <laughs> but it's, hey, yeah, that's such job. a fascinating dynamic. Yeah. I'm coming for that chair. <laughs> <laughs> nice throne you got there. <laughs> uh okay, so Saul finds comfort in Daniel. Daniel David's liar playing. And then we have battle. So, Robert, why don't you recap for us the oh-so-famous chapter 17. 17 in a world. Okay, so Theo Bro trigger warning. Okay, content warning. This is the man's man's chapter of the Bible. This is the chapter that has been thrown at every male since they were able to read a storybook Bible since they first went to story, uh, uh, Sunday school. Things starts off with war. There's two hills and the armies are situated on the opposite hills of the valley in between. And every day we got Goliath. And Goliath, he he a big boy. He he a big boy. I can't remember exactly what the measurement on cubits is, but if I remember correctly, a cubit's like three feet. And it, it's the distance from the elbow to the fingertip. And Ooh. so most of the time they make it about 18 inches is what people is like sort of since it would actually vary. They figure the average is probably 18 inches. OK, so he's he's well over six foot. He's. Oh, yeah. My Bible says nine feet, nine feet. OK, so he's Yao Ming territory. He's Shaquille O'Neal territory. He a what? big boy. OK, and. He comes out every day in front of the arm and he's like, yo, y'all was talking all that noise. Where are you at now? And the army's like, ah, uh, you know, um, you know, diplomacy, we can talk about this. He's like, nah, give me your strongest, biggest dude. And, and whoever wins, then like they'll just be in charge of the kingdom. And so they're like, yeah, you know, we'll just we'll hang out here on the top of the hill for a little bit. That'll be cool. And so like this goes on for like 40 days, right? So there's fear in the camp and David's running errands back and forth. This is really interesting for his dad to the king and his dad sends him in my interpretation to bribe the commander of the 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 army where his brothers are at. It's like, hey, here's some cheese. Please make sure that my brothers don't die. So much cheese. <laughs> so much cheese. And, and so, it will work for me. I'm not going to lie. It will work for me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, meanwhile, he's hearing these people in the camp and they're like, man, this Goliath dude is crazy. Have y'all heard about you know what's going to happen and this has like a very princess bride kind of a feel or like you know some sort of fairy tale like cinderella like you were saying earlier kate where it's just like hey if you win then you get like the whole king you get to live tax-free you get to marry the king's daughter and you get all these riches and, and all this stuff and david's like oh really and so he starts gassing up the army right and he's like hey hey let, what, what are we gonna do this what's going on on, man like haven't y'all heard what the king's gonna give us and like this this, this dude's an uncircumcised philistine and they're like boy you better shut up and so he gets <laughs> into it with his big brother one of the three that's named the only one uh three that are named he gets into it with his big brother and his big brother is like the, fr the firstborn he's like man what are you doing? Like, go, go get lost, go home. And, and he's like, I can't do anything right by you. Just stay in your lane. Don't worry about what I'm doing. And so he keeps talking enough that finally it gets to the king that this kid is running around gassing up the camp. Right. So they send for him. He goes and talks to the king and the king's like, look, I love, love you. Love what you're about. Your great, great energy that you got going on here. But this is war. And so I'm going to need you maybe to chill out. And David's like, he's not having it. This is the 14 year old that you just so arrogant that like you can't tell him. He's like, bro, I have killed a bear, a bear with my hand, a bear, bro, a bear, a lion and a bear. like it wasn't just a bear. It was a bear and a lion. 
Like what? Like that's what I did last summer. What did you do last summer? And so the king's like, you know what? At the end of this, do do what you're gonna do. You just go. <laughs> I find super interesting because the stakes here are that if he does go out there and fight Goliath, as the rules have been set up early on by Goliath, is if this kid goes out there, then all of Israel becomes subject to the Philistines because this kid just took the L, right? And so, like, I don't know if the king is just thinking. Yeah, they're going to see him for what he is, just a kid. They'll kill him or they'll kick his butt or they'll swat him in the bot behind and send him on. But like, he's not, he doesn't seem to be worried about the fact that he's about to give up his whole kingdom if this kid loses. But the kid is like, yeah, I can do this. So the king gives him his armor. And this is what I love, right? So all this this chicken hawk energy where he's like, man, I can bench 250 pounds right, right now, man. Like, I, I killed a bear. The king puts his armor on David and David goes, not, he doesn't go, uh, you know, this is a little bit too heavy. He goes, I'm not used to this, you know, like it just doesn't. It doesn't feel, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's kind of, it doesn't fit me quite right. Like I, I, the, the weight's fine. The weight's cool. I do 250 every day in the gym. You should see me. The weight's <laughs> fine. It's just that, you know, I'm not really used to this type of armor. So I'm going to go ahead and leave this here. And so he goes, he trash talks Goliath. And I found this interesting. So he starts off saying, um, you're coming against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin. And the reason why I sort of gravitated on that, just being a guy and all the war metaphors and all that stuff, <laughs> um, I, I always assumed that spears and javelins were the same thing. But I did a little bit of searching and a javelin is what you and I think of as a true spear. Like you, it's long pole, pointy edge, throw it. That's, you know, what we think of. But a spear in this sense, it's more like um it's a sh- it's shorter it's going to be shorter than the the spear that we're thinking of it's going to be shorter than a javelin but it's longer than a sword and there's all kinds of types they can have all kinds of different points on them and so it's almost like a long sword like you can you, you can throw it but it's oh. it's a, it's a distance weapon in terms of like you know a little further than arm's length but it's also it's also has you know sword like properties so huh. anyway didn't think about this, but he's packing, David is packing five smooth stones that he picked up from the river and a sling, not a slingshot. In all my years, for for whatever reason, I've been thinking of slingshot, like, you know, like U-shaped stick with a, you know, pole underneath it and you pull back the long rubber band and you like, mm-hmm. no, we're talking about like, you know, two strings with a little, like, that's right. We're doing that's the, the RCO ball. And, ooh, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pump that, throw that thing around. So like your aim, like uh, the skill that you have to have with this thing. Is, is amazing. I did see something, on, I think on National Geographic, how like they were talking about uh, the, the sling, the, the slingshot portion of an army, there would be several of them and they'd be pelt skilled at pelting these, these rocks. And it was almost like getting shot with like, like 22 or something like that, because like they're, they, there's a lot of momentum coming off of them and there's just a whole ton of them. So he's got five of them sling slings, um, this rock, First hit right in the middle of the forehead. Down goes Frazier. The rest of the army is like, ooh. And then they're like, I guess we won. And so they all go storm the field, chasing the Philistines. Philistines run off. Then the uh, Israelites come back. They plunder the camp, which I guess was cool this time. Um, for them to <laughs> plunder all the goods left over. And then the king talks to Abner and he's like, who is that kid? And <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that because in the last chapter, we just established that this is the guy that's playing liar for the king whenever he's losing his mind. So maybe there's like some, I don't know, dual personality stuff going on there like too. I'm thinking, I don't know. And and uh, so they bring him and he's like, I'm Jesse's son. And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> Yeah. Very cinematic. Yeah. So on the, I don't know who this person is. There's seems to be like two theories. 
One is either Saul has degenerated to the point that he actually doesn't recognize David, in which case David's response is very like compassionate and just like not trying to like shame him or make fun of him for like not knowing. He's just like, no, I'm this person or and or we're kind of actually introduced to David twice here. Right. And so it seems that no matter what, it seems to be like two different narratives stitched together. And so it could just be an inconsistency when someone was trying to edit and put those things together. But we don't really know. Not for sure. Anyway, you can read into it based on context, I suppose, but that would be up to you. Um, okay. Amanda, <laughs> anything new in the Goliath episode that you were that or something that you just sort of noticed that was different than before? Um, I got fixated on the cheese part because then I wondered like <laughs> how did how did the Israelites make cheese? What was that process <laughs> I love, like? I love that we went there. How did they store it? We obviously got fixed it? on the snacks, okay? Like leave us alone. <laughs> you want something more in depth? I don't that's all I got. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that when I was reading in the commentaries, they were talking about, okay, so a few things. One, this seemed like a really unusual thing, like to have just like two people battle it out on behalf of the armies. But apparently this was normal-ish. It happened a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it could have been, or people did this a lot in the sense of like figuring out which way the battle would go. So you just sort of like have people battle it out and they, whichever one wins, they just sort of assume that the rest of the army is also going to win. And so it's sort of like a way of figuring out what your losses might be (laughs) in a battle, Um, which was interesting. So I was like, huh weird um because then like why would you go through with the rest of the battle but i guess you i guess if the winner just like charges on you you can't really help it the battle's (laughs) happening so it's weird to have a pre-battle but there you go the other thing that surprised me um was the armor thing so it was talking about how like we normally take like the armor sort of being too big for david as meaning david is short Mm. Or small. Yeah, or small. But actually, if you read back, Saul is really tall. Mm. He's like head above everyone. And so the implication is kind of that the one who's most qualified to probably fight Goliath is Saul, like by size and by warrior status. Like he should be the one doing it. Um which is also kind of ironic because I feel like later David gets in trouble, right, for not fighting the battle with his people. Um, mm-hmm. And that turns into a lot of different things. But that sort of seems to be what may be playing here is that Saul is not doing his duty either because he's technically the one who is has the most military prowess, is mm-hmm. the tallest. So he's most likely to fit, to be able to maybe best Goliath and yet he stays home and sends this kid like a literal child to go fight. Um, Even though obviously David's up for it. And so David may not be small. He may be normal size, but that that detail actually means something different. It's not really about David. It's about Saul, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I (laughs) miss. Go ahead, go ahead. I I read a note earlier in this um this Bible commentary and I didn't remember where this was at but in verse 25 um the king will give him one of his daughters for a wife and his whole family will be exempt from paying taxes yeah. <laughs> to the person who goes and fights Goliath. Yeah. He had one yeah. wife and no taxes. <laughs> I mean, not a bad setup, you right. know. <laughs> did y'all notice how so when we saw Saul getting anointed as king publicly he's hiding in the baggage when David is 
joining the ranks at the battle line, he leaves his things with the keepers of the supplies. I was kind of wondering hmm. if that's not sort of a a mirroring, like just showing a difference, sort of like you were saying, Kate, in between Saul and David. Yeah, it could be. It is interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't necessarily pick that up, but I do think it's interesting that, um, yeah, there's there are a lot of parallels between the two and the fact that, you know, David is sort of doing all the things that Saul wouldn't or didn't or couldn't um, is definitely part of the narrative. Um, have y'all and the, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, have you, have you heard the theory that Goliath might've been half blind? So I was reading, not necessarily half. So one of the things that I read was talking about whether or not he could have been had giantism, right? So like, like Andre, he wasn't just tall, but like was actually like had giantism, which wouldn't be totally unusual because like the Bible mentions giants a few times, Um, and so one of the Bibles I was reading the cultural background studies Bible was like, if he was, if he did have giantism, apparently your eyesight is bad, can happen, can be bad with giantism. And you have sort of like, a. it apparently seems to be more like tunnel vision. So you can only like really focus in one direction. And so there is a sense in which that medically could have been possible that his eyesight may have been limited. I don't know about the one eye thing, but, or like blind in one eye thing, but, Something I read did mention the possibility of being like visually impaired. I've never heard that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think the first time I heard about it was Malcolm Gladwell did something about it in a book that he wrote. Um, but I haven't I haven't read I haven't read it. But apparently he was sort of arguing that the the tables would have been in favor of David for those kinds of reasons. And that there was kind of a sense in which David couldn't lose. But you would also hmm. think that the rest of the army would pick up on that. Or maybe that's, I don't know, uh, too much to speculate on. But like, you know, maybe that just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, narr- <laughs> the narrative does seem to emphasize that Goliath is at least threatening enough to where nobody thought he would yeah. lose. Not e- um, Yeah, right. Like not even Saul. Yeah went out to take this challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And that David in refusing the armor actually, you know, went with his advantages of being like mobile and agile. Um, and used, so apparently shepherds used slings a lot to keep animals away. And so that was a weapon he was familiar with. Um, and so he was like, I'm just going to be me and do what I do <laughs> and see what happens. And it worked um, because of sort of the slower gianty thing. But I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting to sort of, again, I don't know how much like we can medically deduce. Mm-hmm. Um, I know but, for a fact. Yeah, exactly. the Bible is clear that um, he had two eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I can I just say I like the energy of not only does he sink a stone into Goliath's head, but then he beheads him <laughs> with his own sword and then carries the man's head around everywhere he goes. When he goes to meet Saul and he's like, Who are you? He's got the head in his hands. That's what I'm talking about. That's peak Enneagram A energy. Like if you're going to mess with me. Yes, right. (laughs) I told you, man, I've killed a bear. This is blood just dripping all over the place. It's like, uh, my man, that stinks. Can we? No, 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 no. I didn't. Why you got to do? You don't, we don't need that. No, thank you. No, thanks. Please leave all, um, 
you know, detached limbs <laughs> outside of the house. Thanks. Do you want to see the fingers? I got the fingers too. <laughs> It was also mentioned in a lot of the things that like Jerusalem like wasn't really a thing yet, or at least wasn't the capital of Israel in any way. And so either that's sort of like an anticipation of like David becoming king and eventually like bringing victory or whatever there, or or he had his head for years and just, <laughs> just carrying it around. Sort of in the same so you place decide how literal you want that to be. I don't know, but I would be really much more put out that he's just like preserving this head. I imagine like a mummy, you know, like right? and carrying it around to like all the places he lives so that everybody knows. Do you want to see strange. something? I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, like I, that feels like an accurate first world trophy, you know, like that. I can see that. <laughs> Every time you go to the th- I would like make the, the same decision. <laughs> Every time you go to the throne room, like you've got to like kiss the head of the oh. giant first before you see the king yeah. and like try Ooh. to challenge him with too you know, far. Too far, Robert. <laughs> like it's part of his family crest, you know, like the head of Goliath is on there, just so that everybody knows forever and ever that. This I did that. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So <laughs> what, what do we think of the idea of a shepherd being king? He was chosen, destined for greatness. Praise God. Because <laughs> you wouldn't think that those were, I don't know, transferable skills or <laughs> I guess he had a lot of skills which was kind of the point of the last chapter but it was interesting that like um, Shepherd does seem to pop up a lot in like Moses was a shepherd for a little bit and um, Jacob. obviously Jesus is a good shepherd you know like all these things that like this idea of nice Jesus a shepherd as king or leader is very prominent in scripture i wonder shepherd yeah i wonder what i mean i get we i guess we get that context in the new testament of the like the shepherds being out in the fields tending flocks but i wonder like were shepherds more like like cowboys like they had to manage the food source and Mm. i'm just trying to think of what are the transferable skills defense you know what, though, even in, in New Testament times, it was also it was just as likely to have a male shepherd as a female shepherd. <clears throat> it was a girl's job just as much as a boy's job. Hmm. I find that interesting. Oh, yeah. Because was it ra- not for uh, any particular reason? Uh, I just find it interesting. A shepherdess <laughs> or a shepherd. Rachel in the Bible. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, fact check us, somebody. <laughs> Leave a comment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come tell us what we got wrong. You yeah. can, uh, okay. Anything else about David or Saul or Goliath or David's family or even well, Samuel? He only he's in here for like a second and then he sort of disappears. He seems very grumbly. <laughs> he's not very like. Um, he's done. enthusiastic he about yeah. He's <laughs> he not enthusiastic about this thing. <laughs> you know, Bible. Okay, so uh, Bible Gateway Genesis twenty nine NIV version, verse nine and ten says that while he was still talking with them, so this is. Jacob, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Mm. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. I'm really curious about y'all's takes on on this because I just, it's honestly like this chapter just has been so utilized to, you know, tell men this is 
you know, the heart of like what God wants you to be. He's calling you out of the pasture and you're weak and you're small, but you're going to be a king and you're going to go slay the giant and the figurative giant and the literal giant. And it's, you know, like I just, I, I hear all that. So I, I can't really divest. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I don't know that the story that women get told is all that different other than being maybe the language, right? Or or maybe quite so hard on like that this is a man's job, but maybe like spiritually, maybe ours is more spiritual, right? Like you need to stand up to whatever giants or God is with you or whatever God calls you to, he has prepared you for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the thrust of the message is still the same. It's probably emphasized differently maybe in a way that it's sort of like a be a man thing whereas here it's like you know be a spiritual warrior for jesus kind of stuff Mm -hmm. i feel like the only context i have for this is like learning the story as a kid or teaching the story to kids and i'm trying to think Mm -hmm. there's like there's a, a sunday school song That my mom used to sing, and now I can't even think of the words, but I think that's, I think of childhood when I hear the story. Yeah. I'll agree with that, too. I guess maybe it wasn't, it's not something we really talk about beyond the younger years, but for you, Robert, it was a very adulty man thing, too. Oh, no, seriously, like, this is probably... I mean, I don't know what Bible story I first ever learned, but like, it feels like it was this one or that I learned this one soon thereafter. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I have a theory that we teach children the Old Testament stories when they're young so that they're used to the shocking, violent nature of it from an early age and that they don't really process it. Later on, because I mean, this is it's this good is crazy. versus evil. Yeah, yeah. But like it's it's kind of wild if you step back and think about it to be teaching children about how this giant was beheaded and the yeah, you know. So um, yeah, but like it was it was all it it started you know super early and then yeah seriously like I mean from his early as I can remember, there was some sort of year of the David, you know, there was that, that movie, what is uh, the Christian movie, you know, where it's like, they spent like $50 on a budget and they made a movie <laughs> and, uh, about football or something like that. Facing the giants. Oh, facing the giants. Yeah. So I mean, like, it's, it's always that sort of energy that. Yeah. Only a boy named David is the Sunday school song I was thinking of. Okay. For anyone who was left wondering, one. yeah, I don't think I've it. heard that one. Look it up. Oh man, how's <laughs> it going? <laughs> the greatest, the greatest, greatest scene in public. <laughs> uh, okay, well, takeaways. What are we thinking about? What have we learned that we're applying? <laughs> Um, what are we <laughs> encouraged by, discouraged by, what's sort of hitting us from here? Robert, what you got? <laughs> when you defeat an enemy, carry their head around so that it sets an example for everybody yeah. else. If you're going into a battle spiritually or otherwise, bring cheese with you. <laughs> bring cheese. Honestly, that's a great lesson. You know how there's like the um, there's that like book page that gets shown a bunch of times. It was like if you like a woman, give her cheese. It's like this old like dating advice thing. And I was like, you know, that's a much better idea than flowers. If you're coming to me, like, give me a bouquet of cheese. Sold. I'm on your team forever. Like my favorite type. I get it. I get it. Cheap cheese. Yeah, it doesn't have to be great cheese. I'm, I'm going to eat all of it, you know? So, I, you know, I, There's a bunch I of get it. guys scribbling furiously, taking notes right now. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, you know, I, something I do take away from this is 
you know, at the point that David decides that he's going to go down and face Goliath, like there's this huge army that they're all supposed to be on the same team and they're well armed and they're in theory well trained and they should be capable, but they're all standing back and waiting and watching for what he's going to do before they move forward. And I can relate to that because I find myself in a lot of situations in life being sort of the, the one that's sent out first or has my, I'm sticking my neck out first. The one that, that has to be the one to challenge things first while everyone else Mm -hmm. is sort of hanging back, waiting to see how it goes. And then if I'm successful, they're on the front lines. Then everyone comes charging in and they're like, yeah, we're on your side and we got your back. And this is our victory. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, you're, it's sort of like, I mean, actually, so people that um, are listening, they can't see this, but there's a Theodore Roosevelt. Um, I don't know if it's a poem or just something that he said, but it's, it's the man in the, the arena. And oh, yeah. it's basically mm-hmm. the idea of like, it's, it's the person that, is in the arena fighting, getting their, their butt kicked. That is, you know, knows the the highs and the lows and the joys of, of victory. And that's actually sitting on my wall over my right shoulder because it just kind of has that, that significance for me is that's the situation that I often find myself in is kind of like, it feels like I'm the only one in the arena to start with. So I, I do, um, I guess, find myself relating to that place, not of facing down the giant and thinking, Oh, I'm the big bad guy and I'm going to do this thing, but kind of like, where's the rest of my backup? Um, and so I can appreciate that position. Amanda, what are you taking away besides cheese? That's it. I'm in my cheese era. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't know if there is any necessarily new takeaway other than yeah, just the state that it seems like Saul is moving into. I don't know. I think I think I have empathy for all of these all of these characters. And it's just been interesting to read I don't know, read reread through first Samuel altogether to kind of just see yeah, how the author writes about things, how things show up. And so I'll be curious to see, yeah, how God continues to show up throughout these stories or what new ways I notice. Um, right? Because God doesn't necessarily, I mean, he was, he was active in chapter 16 and 17 was more of just a narrative of people talking about God. Um, I don't know. So it's just been, I don't know, an interesting to kind of take into that effect of like, okay, what is the author telling us? What are the characters telling us? How is God portrayed in all of this? So I don't know yeah. that takeaway. It's just, I think I'm reading it with new eyes. Yeah. I mean, I also sort of struggle with a concrete takeaway, but I do think one thing that sort of, uh, struck me in our conversation is, you know, what are the things that we attribute to God and why? And just kind of, <clears throat> not that I want to like diminish people like attributing things to God in a good way, or even, I mean, I don't know, that sounds very one sided. Like, if you have to, if you can only do good things, then why not bad things? I don't know. And maybe that just has to do with what you believe about the character of God. But I think there is a sense in which um, we just, maybe it's sort of like a spiritual bypass thing, right? Like, we use God to make it very simple, like a very simple narrative to like glaze over and move through something or to just make people agree and carry on with whatever. Um, And I think that goes both ways on good things and bad things, whether that's like Saul's state of mind or, you know, David's violent victory. Like, I don't, 
love that either. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, even though it's a victory for the time and I get that, you know, I, I tend towards pacifism, so I'm not crazy about it. And so I think there's a sense in which um, it is kind of easy to either attribute something to God or to do the thing and put God's name on it or behind it um, or to even only attribute yeah, I don't know. Because I, I think what we're also seeing now is, and what we have a lot experienced, is that things that we told were told were good or helpful or healthy or the way that God wants things turns out to just be people who wanted to amass things for themselves. Mm. And, um, and though there was some good in that and some good things that came from that, that those legacies are also very, very caught up in the sin of those people um, that then affected and traumatized like so many of us. And so I, though I want to be doing things in the name of God, in the sense that I want to carry forth what I believe God's legacy, not that God is dead, but like what God wants for me on earth. And I want to give that credit to God that at the same time, there's a lot of people that want to do that too, but do things that I don't, I don't think are good. And so I guess it's a, yeah, maybe just a call to like continue to examine or just because God's name on it doesn't always mean that it is of God and to be careful with that. And even to even, you know, with myself, something that I'm like, I feel like I'm being led this way. Like, is that God? Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. me? Is it some combination of the two? Because I I do think there's a sense in which my intuition and my skills and my passions are a way that God leads. And so I don't want to diminish that. But I also, if it becomes something that is harmful, I don't want to say, well, that's okay because God's name was on it. Like, yeah. But look at all the good that it did. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm just sort of Maybe it's just a call for myself to be sure that my ego isn't driving the bus um, in all of this. And that because I believe myself to be so good that I can put God's name on things. But I do think there's a sense in which um, I'm still wrestling with where some of those lines are. And this story, these stories really sort of. I don't know. They don't really clear that up for me. They leave me, they sort of call me to ponder that. So maybe that's what I'm just sort of like thinking about is just ensuring that, because again, all these things seem to be, and maybe this is it. Maybe it's more of like having people that I can make these decisions with rather than doing that for myself in a vacuum because I think yeah, there's a sense in which like Saul, I can be driven by my insecurity or like David, I can be driven. One of the commentaries I said, I read said that David's comments leading up to the Goliath show that he is ambitious, patriotic and religious. And in that order. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> um, okay. And so there's a sense in which even for David, something else was a driving force that ended up being a thing that, you know, was a victory in God's name. So all of this rambling is just kind of like, make sure that I am prioritizing well or rightly those impulses and, um, you know, continuing to bring people around me. I think because I'm such an an internal processor, I'm doing a lot of that on my own and not necessarily bouncing it off of people, though I do ask a lot of questions and take people's thoughts in. I think there is space to also let that be shaped by other people and what they see in me or what they see 
make sense. So yeah, all that to say, I don't know, but that's probably what I'm wrestling with from this. Yeah, I think that's a helpful reminder, right? That I think we were meant to experience faith in community and not just the vacuum in our own self. Yeah. And it's hard and it's inconvenient and it's slow. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to get my way all the time <laughs> if that's the case, which is stupid because I should because I'm smart. Smart. Because um, the spirit of the Lord is on me in a mighty way. Right. <laughs> exactly. If everyone would just recognize, it would be really helpful. Um, but it's also a gift because in a way, you know, now the spirit of the Lord is on all of us. And so there is... Uh-huh beauty and allowing that reality to play out in my life and bringing people into that process. So yeah, that's something I'm thinking about. Mm. All right. Anything else? That's it. I'm going to get some cheese. That's right. <laughs> you, you go girl, go get this you some is cheese. sponsored by craft. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. You can, you deserve better <laughs> cheese than that. You deserve better cheese, Amanda. You deserve queso. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. I hope that you got as much out of it as we always do from these conversations. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player to help more people find the show and learn along with us. And don't forget to find and follow us on social media. All our links are in the show notes. And I can't wait until we see you next time. Bye-bye.